Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this could get real ugly, I'm afraid. It really could. I mean, breaking news coming out of New York just a short time ago that a grand jury there in Manhattan had indicted indicted Daniel Penny in the chokehold death of Jordan Neely on a subway just about a month ago in New York. Remember, this was the guy who was threatening uh, passengers on a subway train. Daniel Penny, an ex-Marine, on his way to or from school, I can't remember when, because he felt his life was in danger and the lives of others were in danger, stepped in, put uh, Jordan Neely in a chokehold that eventually, uh, some say, led to his death. And now Daniel Penny has been indicted on the charges and uh, where this is going to go. I mean, this is really going to raise a lot of questions about our ability to defend ourselves. And I'm not sure if the uh, Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, is trying to make a um, a spectacle of all of this, trying to make an example that we no longer can defend ourselves in this country, especially if we're white and the um, the threat we see, the individual is black. I mean, this could get real ugly, folks, but that's some breaking news for you on uh, Daniel Penny being indicted in uh, New York today. Hello, Utah. Hello, everybody. How are you? And happy Flag Day. I hope you took a moment today to put out the American flag. Uh, Rich Lowry, who writes for the uh, New York Post and also, I think, in charge of National Review, um, wrote a wonderful article today about uh, getting rid, and I've talked about this before, getting rid of pride rainbows because we already have a flag that includes everyone, and that is the flag of the United States of America. And if we have time a little bit later on, we'll get into that because it is a terrific article. And he raises a very, very good point. Why do we have to have all these flags? Can't we exist with the American flag? And that's what we're celebrating today. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit later on as well. I know we've talked about this before, but I just want to outline some of the points that uh, Rich Lowry made in his um, in his uh, column today. All right. Uh, as always, we've got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking about Biden's next environmental coup. Have you heard the term green banks? We'll get into that. We'll talk about a new survey on uh, how older voters in America feel about the future of Social Security Medicare and Medicaid. We'll get into that as well. A little bit later on, we'll talk about the collapse of confidence in American institutions. It took a real hit yesterday with the uh, former president, Donald Trump, coming up uh, facing charges, pleading not guilty to charges involving the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case. We'll get into that. We'll talk about big government and control. And how about ending trade relations with China? What impact would that have? So we've got a lot to get to, like I said, and we do this each and every day. If you want to be a part of the program, 888-5708010, 888-5708010, or on your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod. Now, because it is Flag Day and you see pride flags or progress pride flags all over the country today, and we're, we, you know, June being Pride Month, I saw this posted today on Twitter. And um, it was from a mom who decided to share a very heartfelt message about her daughter, who she says at one time in her life wanted to be a boy. And the mom's name, and she even she said, go ahead and use my name if you want. Her name is Amber Parker. But I, I, this is a little lengthy, but I think it really sets an example for moms and dads as to how to do this. And uh, it's quite a compelling story. So I'm going to read this. 
because I think it it may help some of you moms and dads who are facing this now or going to be facing it in the future, maybe. She said, this is my middle daughter, Hope, at age 3 and 18. And there are two pictures in the tweet about her. When she was about two and a half years old, she told me she wanted to be a boy. Two and a half. She wanted to be a boy. This continued to different forms until she was 12 or 13. She asked me once, when am I going to grow a winky? Okay, because she had seen her older brother and had seen and bathed with them and noticed that he had a winky and she didn't. And she asked why not. And she explained she wouldn't because she was a girl. She told me she wanted to TT standing up. So I explained how that wouldn't work for her. Unfazed, she decided to try it anyways. And guess what? It didn't work and life went on. Her mom writes, she was a tomboy. She played sports and was hyper competitive. Almost all of her friends until seventh grade were boys. She only wore, wore boys underwear. She had to wear a dress on Sundays as we attended church. And that was our rule. But she often walked into her class, yanked up her dress and announced, I'm still wearing my boy underwear. I never argued with her about her clothes. I remember her coming home in first grade, asking me what a lesbian was because some boys had called her that on the bus. I explained it was when a girl loved another girl. She said, oh, that was it. She was six and didn't need discussion on sex at that point. We often talked about her being able to do anything a boy could do, and she could still be a girl. She was a three-sport athlete, three-sport captain, all-state volleyball player, and junior college scholarship basketball player. However, she was still a girl and an awesome girl. When she was 12 or 13, she asked for girl panties, but still only wore athletic clothes. She is beautiful today at age 23, as she is as athletic. She loves to snowboard, hike, and still loves sports. We allowed her to work out who she was with parameters that allowed her to be successful. She's engaged now to a great guy whom she will marry on August 19th. Mom goes on to say this. I would have never medicated her, surgically changed her, hormonally altered her, or done one thing differently, different than what we did. I don't care what the world, what social media, what trans activists push. These are kids. Let them figure it out, she writes. To do anything that could change them before their brains are fully developed is ridiculous and honestly abusive. Guide them. Talk to them. Advocate for them accept them but for the love of all that is right do not change them that's how heartfelt she's she goes on to say this she wraps up like this she said i just heard a heartbreaking story about a person who physically transitioned as a young adult who is now 17 years away from that and she said it was the biggest mistake ever made hope has often said how different her life would be for her and us if she was growing up today because the pressure to transition her would be so great. I can assure you that it would have had zero effect on us. And she ends this tweet by saying this. Parents, please don't get swept up in this madness. Be the voice of reason for your child, please. And she says, I hope this will be made public and free, feel free to share it with others. That's what this is all about, folks. It really is. It is all about letting your children grow up. 
do the thing, let them kind of figure it out for themselves, but be, be there and be supportive of what they're trying to do. That's what it's all about. It's not about, you know, changing them or recommending them. Let them figure it out for themselves. And that's why I thought it was so important to share that tweet with you today. Because in this country, we're in the middle of a debate over transgenderism. And there is a new poll out. And let me get the, the numbers on this poll for you tonight. Support for gay marriage continues to climb steadily around the country, right? But public support for transgenderism appears to be cratering. A new Gallup poll out Monday reveals an overwhelming majority of Americans believe biological sex should define participation in athletic competition. 69% said athletes should only be allowed to compete on teams that match their birth gender, up from 62% just two years ago. Even 64% of the participants who reported knowing a transgender person said sport leagues should be segregated based on sex. So I thought I'd share that very heartfelt story with that mom who has gone through this. She understands this. She was very smart, along with her husband, to let her child be her child. Not to change her with hormones or any type of surgery, but her child figured it out. And now is scheduled to be married to a wonderful man, as she described, coming up on August 17th. thought you'd like to hear that story as we begin the show today. All right, when we come back, we'll talk about Biden's next climate change coup. That's coming up right here on the Rod Arquette Show and Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Listen and you'll know. All right, welcome back to the Rod Arquette Show with you on this Wednesday afternoon here on Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Listen and you'll know. Great to be with you. If you want to be a part of the program today, 888-5708010, or on your cell phone, all you do is have to dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod. You know, Joe Biden has a uh, lot of dreams about climate change in America. It's his hope that we never you know, burn fossil fuels ever again, that we do nothing but drive electric cars, that we don't have gas stoves, that we don't have air conditioners, that we don't have refrigerators that eat up more and more electricity, that we live in mud huts and eat grass. Okay, that may be a little hyperbole, but, you know, Joe Biden's next climate uh, coup could be even more dangerous. We're talking about green banks. Joining us on our Any Hour Newsmaker line right now to talk about green banks is Larry Behrens. Larry is Director of Communications at Power to the Future. Larry, it's always great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Oh, it's no problem. It's always great to speak with you. Larry, let's talk about what green banks are all about. What is Joe Biden trying to do, Larry? Yeah, he. It, you know, it's it's. I'm no financial expert, but when I looked into the bill, it looks like he is working to set up a financial system of banks that is completely separate from our traditional commercial banks. And the sole purpose of these banks is to leverage tax dollars into Joe Biden's favorite projects. And so you would, instead of going to, you know, the regular bank where we all go for, for our mortgages and our checking account and our savings accounts, he would have these separate banks that would be taxpayer funded and then send the money out to projects that are by their definition green. And so it's a perfect system. If you wanted to, I don't know, send money 
to campaign donors who happen to work in the renewable industry sector. And it raises a ton of questions, the top of the line of which is, you know what, why do you need special banks to do it? Do traditional banks know that these products and these projects are financial losers? And so you have to use taxpayer dollars to set up special banks to to use them. Uh, and it is a question that really we don't get to ask because he's already going forward with this program. New Mexico tried to do something like this. The Democrats in that state said no, but then the governor took action and they're trying to do it behind closed doors. What exactly is going on in New Mexico with green banks? <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, all around, your neighbors around Utah are, are doing interesting things. Colorado set one up without their legislative approval. The governor just decided to set one up there. And that's what they tried to do in New Mexico. We uh, sent what is essentially a FOIA request for New Mexico, and we caught them. We caught them right after their legislative session. They said, hey, this failed. Why don't we do it without the legislature? We can still get it done. It would only take $3 million instead of the $20 million price tag. And when they were got caught, uh, you know, trying to set this up, they openly admitted it. They said, oh, yeah, we were doing that because there's so many federal dollars on the table. We don't want to miss out. And so these governments are running no pun intended, to the bank to try to create these, you know, nonprofit institutions that are quasi-governmental. Maybe the governor's in charge of them, maybe not. But the governor certainly gets to choose who sits on the board and which nonprofits get the money. And I'm sure, uh, you know, uh, you can call me Mm -hmm. cynical all you want, but I'm sure it will very, very closely correlate to those who donate to certain governor's campaigns and to the Joe Biden campaign as well. Yeah. It's a pretty sweet pail of work if you can get it. <laughs> Larry, you point out that New Mexico oil and gas revenues deliver about $9.4 billion to the entire state budget, which is a new record. What happens to that revenue or what happens if the green banks get a foothold in New Mexico? What do you see happening? All right, such a great question. I mean, in New Mexico, where where I'm from, my wife's from Utah, so you know, don't worry, I I, I never leave out Utah. <laughs> but where where I'm from in New Mexico, the oil and gas industry, New Mexico is the second largest energy producing state in the nation, second only to Texas, and forty percent of every state dollar comes from the oil and natural gas industry. So a teacher's salary, 40 cents of every dollar, is from the oil and natural gas industry. And so when you have a government working to undermine that industry, well, they're going to find themselves in financial dire straits. And what they're doing right now is they're doing very similar to what Joe Biden is doing, except New Mexico can't print their own money. But they are spending wildly to try to prop up these um, green institutions that they know will probably never be able to stand on their own. And that's, you know, I talked about the biggest question, but that's another question as well. Why do we have to send millions and yes, billions of dollars to these projects to force us all to adopt them? No one had to force me to adopt the iPhone. No one had to force me, you know, to adopt a you know, frosted flakes mm-hmm. when I was a kid. I just liked them. So I took them. They didn't take massive government subsidies to do it. But yet we've been told for well over a decade now that we have to continue sending billions and billions of taxpayer dollars. And and just like Lucy holding the football, the jobs we super duper promise are just around the corner and never materializes. Was this money allocated out of the Inflation Reduction Act? And, and did anyone see this coming at all, Larry? 
Yes and yes. And so there's about, just so folks know, there's about $20 billion, I'm not making it up, out of the Inflation Reduction Act that could go directly to these green banks across the country. In fact, when they were caught in New Mexico trying to create this bank, the head climate guy for the state of New Mexico says, oh, wow, the Inflation Reduction Act, it's a, it's a unique little beast. And I can't disagree. That is exactly what it is. There are these dollars flowing in directions that we don't know about. And, and let me just give you the big number. There is $369 billion that Joe Biden is so proud of that he's sending to the renewable industry. Keep in mind, this Joe Biden was the architect of Solyndra, so it's questionable whether he knows how to send money to the right places. But the entire budget for the United States Navy, every sailor, every ship, all the gasoline, everything that goes to the United States Navy for a year is $220 billion. So we are spending more on green energy this year than we are on the United States Navy. That is how much money is flowing to these programs. And, and yes, absolutely, people are going to get rich. And what do you think they're going to do with some of that money? It's going to go back to these eco-Democrats. It, it's no, the timing of the Inflation Reduction Act, which is laughably named, was not coincidental. It's just enough time to print the money get it out the door, and have it laundered back into the campaign coffers of eco-friendly politicians. Boy, they are going using every avenue, aren't they, Larry, to go after climate change. I mean, this you combine this with what's going on with ESG and the various investment firms around the country using this grade to determine whether or not money can be used or given to these green projects. I mean, they aren't, they aren't leaving a stone unturned trying to get climate change through the American people, right? Yeah, that's such a great point. You know, and, and it would, I tell people that Joe Biden is using every lever of his bureaucracy to try to force through the Green New Deal. People do think it's hyperbole. It is absolutely not. There are boards. I mean, Consumer Product Safety Board wants to come after your gas stove. Okay, you've probably heard of the Consumer Product Safety Board, but you maybe not have heard of the Federal Energy Regulation Commission. They control who gets pipelines and who doesn't. FERC is their name. Joe Biden has used them to shut down pipelines across the country to where it takes a literal act of Congress now to get a pipeline built. And so there are every little avenues uh, manned with bureaucrats that you have never you'll never vote for them they were never on the ballot they make a ton of money off their tax dollars and they get to decide the winners and losers of government and lo and behold who's the one holding the bag and the bill well we've seen it over the last two years it's us because we've paid the inflation tax we've paid the gasoline Mm -hmm, tax mm -hmm. all these things that are much more expensive on the american family this year somebody's getting rich off of them and again no surprise that that money ends up back in democrat party coffers pretty amazing they just won't get up larry great conversation thanks for joining us tonight always great to talk with you have a great day all right same to you larry barons he is the director of communications at power the future talking about joe biden another climate change scheme it's called green banks head up heads up everybody all right more coming up here on the rod arkent show and utah's talk radio 105.9 knrs listen and you'll know put me on a highway the interstate a dirt road to any place Catch Show on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Singing the uh, song of freedom each and every day here on the Rod Arquette Show. How are you? Welcome back. Hope you uh, recognize that today is Flag Day and you've displayed or you're displaying out where your business, your home, wherever, the American flag. 
We don't need all these flags. One flag is all all we need, and that is the great American flag on this flag day. Just remember that. Well, there is a a new poll out, and it was a poll conducted um, on uh, people who are 55 plus in this country today. You know, a lot of times marketers don't pay attention to those over 55, and I'm in that group now, but they should because there's a lot of wisdom to share and information that people around the country could learn from older voters. Well, the poll shows that a lot of voters, some 80% of older voters, are concerned that prescription drug reform will hurt drug innovation. It's all part of Joe Biden's Inflationary Reduction Act, right? Well, joining us on our Newsmaker line to talk about it is Phil Kirpin. Phil is the president of American Commitment. That's the organization that did the polling. Phil, how are you? Welcome back to the Rod Arquette Show. I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm well. Thank you, Phil. Phil, give us some of the highlights of the survey of people 55 and older. What are they saying? What are some of their key health issues right now? Well, the uh, first of all, uh, the major the major concerns about cost that we heard from seniors in this survey were mostly insurance related costs, uh, deductibles, premiums, copays, uh, with prescription drugs and long term care costs sort of down the list, which was a little bit surprising because if you listen to sort of the political chatter, all they ever talk about are drug costs, uh, which I think is largely because uh, AARP, which has got the loudest voice and the loudest platform in healthcare debates and claims to speak for seniors, makes most of their money from their partnership with United Health. And of course, United Health is the biggest insurance company. The last thing they want to talk about are insurance costs, so all they ever talk about are drug costs. So that was pretty interesting uh, right off the bat. Um, the other numbers that we got, some of these are just unbelievable. They're numbers you never see in terms of 85, 90, that kind of thing. Um, but we, but 85% of older voters in our survey said that if money is saved in changes to Medicare, it should be kept in Medicare, not siphoned off for unrelated spending, which, of course, is what they did in the uh, so-called mm-hmm. Inflation Reduction Act last year. They gave it all to green groups and, uh, you know, told stuff that had nothing to do with Medicare. So I think that's a message that Republicans should really hammer is the idea that, you know, they took they took their their savings from Medicare changes and spent it on unrelated stuff, gave it to the green groups. That's a huge winning message. Um, and, and in fact, when we asked the question a little bit differently, we said the money specifically being spent for electric vehicles and solar panels and that kind of thing. That went over 90 percent. <laughs> they were concerned about that. So, you know, keep it in Medicare is a winning message. But also you start saying what they spent it on and it, it, it goes up even further to the kinds of numbers you, you basically almost never see. Uh, the other things that we found that were really interesting, over 80 percent of older Americans think that the that slashing, you know, 200 plus billion dollars in Medicare prescription drug spending will reduce the number of new cures and treatments that are developed and the access to them in, the, in Medicare. And that's a big number. It means that the the sort of the key Democrat messages uh, did not penetrate uh, on the bill last year. Republicans should not be scared to, to talk about it. And in contrast to that, only 14% of seniors think their drug costs are going to go down. Huh. So they don't believe the promise from Democrats that the bill is going to lower their own drug costs. And they are concerned that we're going to get less new drugs, uh, less cures, less access. That is a pretty potent mix, I think, uh, to really turn an issue around that, to be honest, a lot of Republicans have been scared or you know, sort of ducked their head, didn't want to talk about it because they assumed that, you know, yeah. Democrats must know what they're doing. This must be a big winner with voters. I, I don't think so. I think yeah. if you talk about it the right way, 
you know, those numbers are, are pretty staggering. And then the other half of our poll, we, we asked kind of specifically about AARP and the way they get most of their money from their deal with United Health. And, uh, you know, we asked, are you concerned that over half of AARP's, AARP's revenue comes from corporate royalties, mostly from United Healthcare? 85% said they are concerned about that. We asked if it's a conflict of interest. Uh, for them to be lobbying on health care issues, even though they make you know almost a billion dollars mm-hmm. a year from the largest health insurance company, 80 percent said that is a conflict of interest. We asked whether they should have supported that bill last year, even though it diverted Medicare drug money to unrelated spending. Eighty eight percent of seniors said they should not have supported that bill. And Rob, the number that I thought was the most stunning, because I've never seen a number like this mm-hmm. in a poll. I mean, mm-hmm. you couldn't you could ask if the sky is blue and not get this number. Ninety five percent of uh, older voters think that AARP should have stronger, clearer disclosures of the fact that wow. they get so much money from United Health and skim 5% off the top of the monthly premiums and all the AARP branded United Health products. 95% think that's not adequately disclosed. Phil, in this survey, you, you point out that a lot of people who were surveyed in this are members of AARP, but by the sounds of it, they're real happy with AARP. Is that fair to say? Yeah, the way that we the way that we did this, we we told the pollster um, we want to be able to have statistically meaningful numbers, specifically about AARP members, to make the case that they're really being misrepresented. And you know, when elected officials hear from AARP, they should know they don't really speak even for their own membership. And you know, all those numbers I gave you were the overall numbers, but frankly. The ones that are specific to AARP members are not much different. They're about the same on almost all of these things, uh, which is pretty interesting uh, when you have a group that, that claims to be speaking, you know, for millions of seniors, and then you, you pull those seniors and they kind of say, no, they, they shouldn't be, you know, they shouldn't be doing all the things that they're doing. So if, if you look, if you go to uh, AmericanCommitment.org and click on Commitment to Seniors, you can see the whole slide deck that walks through the whole poll. And uh, we've got everything broken out by kind of, you know, older voters overall and AARP members. And there's very little difference uh, between the two. Any response from AARP as a result of this poll, Phil? Yeah, you know what they did? You know what they <laughs> what? said? They what? said they said oh they said ignore that whole poll because that's a pharma front group. Uh. Which, first of all, it's false. First of all, it's not it's not true. We're not a front group. In fact I've been fighting against pharma for I the know last, you, you know, yeah. two years on yeah. vaccine mandates. We I was actually you know, we we were actually cited at the Supreme Court in the oral arguments, our amicus brief, so we've done about as much on the biggest issue of the day, we've been about as <laughs> contrary to them as possible. Uh, so that's like a ridiculous thing. But then it's also like, wait a second, you're calling us a front group when you're getting $800 million a year from United Health? Yeah. And somehow the only issues you ever talk about are the ones that are favorable to them, never the ones that can see seniors are concerned about with respect to their insurance costs. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty remarkable way for them to try to wave it off. Not to mention, like, you know, even if we were a front group, which we're not. I mean, the numbers are the numbers. It's a it's a valid poll from a major pollster. Yeah. And what is you know what is who we are have to do with it? Yeah, that's for sure. Phil, great conversation, great information. Thank you for uh, spending a few minutes with us this afternoon. Enjoy the rest of the day. All right, same to you. Thanks. All right, on our uh, any hour newsmaker line, that's Phil Kirpin. Phil is president of American Commitment, talking about a new poll of people fifty five plus in this country and what they think about AARP and its relationship with United. Healthcare. More coming up on the Rod Arkent Show and Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Listen and you'll know. How do we deal with a road rage in this state? 
We'll get your thoughts on it. Lawmakers are talking about it up on Utah's Capitol Hill today. They may not, you know, approve any laws. It is an interim committee, but they are talking about it today, an interim day. And uh, we may see some new legislation in um, in the works come January. But I, I will get your thoughts about road rage and what could be done here in the state of Utah. Now, uh, before we forget, we've got something we want to give away right now. How would you like to win four passes to the C-10 Nationals coming up June 23rd and 24th, that's next week, at the Utah State Fair Park. Now, the world's largest Chevy and GMC truck event. It includes truck giveaways, the vendor midway, autocross, swap meets, awards, you name it. It also includes a Friday night cruise and more. Tickets are $20 with more info at c10nationals.com. You can enter online at iheart.com for another way to win. But right now, we have two sets of four passes each. So two winners. Each winner will get four passes to the C10 Nationals coming up at the Utah State Fair Park next week. So we'll take callers number five and six. Callers number five and six right now, 888-5708010, If you're caller number five or six, you'll receive four passes to the C10 Nationals next week at the Utah State Fair Park from Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Again, callers number 5 and 6, 888-570-8010. Neil Lou Chuckle, I, 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 I saw this story. You may have seen it already. But this this story, a couple of days old, but I wanted to mention it to you. I, apparently, a single woman is, uh, is uh, making some waves um, for lamenting on TikTok about liberal men. Um that all the chivalrous masculine men in her dating orbit, she claims in this TikTok post, are conservative. She said this, she says, as a liberal woman, it is really hard to find a man who is willing to play the more traditional masculine role in the relationship in today's day and age who is not a conservative A man who wants to pay on the first date, who wants to open your door, who has that want and desire to take care of you and provide, who is not a conservative, hard to find, she said. The L.A. woman said that men she's dated who do not have those quality traits don't align with her political ideologies. And she clarified that just because she wants an old-fashioned gentleman, it doesn't mean she plans to subscribe to a traditional housewife role. Uh, She says, obviously, as a liberal woman, I do want to be respected for my independence and I do want to have my own autonomy in the relationship and not to be combined or confirmed to the traditional female homemaker. But she did note that most people she dates now, the traits that she's looking for (laughs) are conservative men. Interesting. Uh, One other note. um, Well, it's now official and apparently a lot of people know this, but in what the uh, Wall Street Journal paints as an ongoing fallout from its Dylan Mulvaney controversial, Bud Light has been officially pushed out of America beer maker and the beer market's top spot. Formerly, the country's top-selling beer, Bud Light, is now down to number two, with Modelo Especial replacing it in the number one spot. Bud Light sales have been falling since April when um, it represents April, when the transgender influencer, Dylan Mulvaney, um, was featured on a promo can. 
And in May, it represented just 7.3% of U.S. retail beer sales compared to 8.4% for Modelo. Other Anheuser-Busch beers have also seen sales declines. The New York Post reports that some of those appear to be starting to recover, unlike Bud Light. Bud Light still holds the U.S. top-selling spot for the year to date, but it has fallen to second place because of Dylan Mulvaney. I wonder how that's going to shake out at Budweiser. They're probably just thinking he'll blow over, and sooner or later, people will come back uh, for a Bud Light. We'll have to see how that happens. All right, when we come back, we'll talk about road rage. There have been some horrible incidents involving road rage that have led to death on the highways. What could be done about it? Get your thoughts, what you've seen out there. Coming up, our number two of the Roderick Henshaw. Stay with us. All right, welcome back. Hour number two of the Rod Arquencho here on this Wednesday. Many of you may be saying, well, what about Wingman Wednesday? Well, a quick explanation. We had to uh, call it quits, at least for the time being. Well, uh, my former co-host, still a good friend, I think he is, uh, Citizen Greg Hughes, decided to uh, throw his hat in the ring, so to speak, and run for the congressional seat being vacated by... Second District Congressman Chris Stewart. And as a result of that, there are certain rules that we follow, and we can, uh, we'd love to have him on the show for three hours every Wednesday, but that's not possible now that he's uh, running for Congress. Because if that was the case, I think to be fair, we'd have to offer every candidate out there three hours on my show every week, and we just haven't got the time to do that. So, depending on if he wins or loses, we'll see if he comes back to Wingman Wednesday. It all depends on uh, what goes on. And uh, speaking of that, the uh, Utah Republican Party announced this afternoon that there, for those of you in the 2nd Congressional District, there will be two debates for con- um, uh, for convention phase of the special election. Uh, the party and partnership with Davis, Iron, Salt Lake, Tooele, Washington County Republican parties will unveil a schedule of two highly anticipated debates, their words, as part of the special election. The first debate will take place this coming Tuesday. Tuesday, June 20th, from, uh, let's see, from 6 p.m. to 8.45 p.m. And I I don't know how they're going to do this because there are so many people in this race already. They'll figure this out. But it will take place at Woods Cross High School Auditorium. Uh, You'll see that just off the freeway there on I-15. That is coming up on Tuesday. And then two days later, two nights later, there will be another debate this one held at the Dixie Dixie Tech Auditorium there in St. George. And again, that will be from 6 p.m. to 8.45. And then I think the convention is a week later, I believe. I've got to get my date set on that. But there are two debates. So just if you're in the 2nd District, you want to hear from all these candidates. And right now the list is growing. They have until 5 o'clock today. Well, they had until 5 minutes ago to file for the race. But they will have two debates coming up on Tuesday, June 20th at uh, Woods Cross High School, and then on Thursday, June 22nd, at the uh, Dixie Tech Auditorium there in St. George. So we'll keep you up to date on that as well. A happy Flag Day again. Um, 
Hope you remember to fly your flag. We'll tell you about a uh, student revolt that took place in a community in Massachusetts about Pride Month and what they were supposed to do. And not all the kids went along with this. And boy, is the media reacting to this one. We'll talk about that. But Abby just had a uh, uh, reported in, news, in her newscast a moment ago. Utah lawmakers today are talking about road rage in, in, in this state of ours. And they're considering increasing fines and penalties for reckless, aggressive driving. And we've had some very unfortunate stories about people that were killed on the highway who were not even involved in the road rage, but they just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it cost them their lives. Now, I'm not sure what exactly could be done about road rage. I mean, increasing the penalties, um, you know, increasing the fines. I, I you know, I want to get your thoughts as to what you think could be done because, uh, and maybe you've got a story you want to share about road rage. Uh, hopefully, none of them involving you. Um, but what can be done about road rage? Um, you, you know, there are. Uh, I tell you what, there there are times on the highway, and I generally go with the flow of traffic. And on the interstate, sometimes it goes anywhere from about seventy, seventy five, maybe between seventy five and eighty miles an hour. Generally, that's the flow of traffic on I-15 and on I-215. That's what I've seen most often, and I think that's what you see as well. But there are times when I will see people come roaring past me and past the other cars on the highway, and you know they're doing anywhere from 95 to 105 miles an hour. And at times, I've seen two cars doing this. And you wonder, are they in some kind of race, or are they... You know, is, are, are we witnessing a road rage incident? I mean, I've seen them a few times, and I'd like to hear your stories as well. Driving down the road, somebody cuts somebody off, somebody gets very upset about what is going on, and all of a sudden, we've got them going after each other, driving a car. Stupid, in my opinion. I don't know why people do this, but sometimes they just, people on the highway get so upset with somebody cutting in front of them. Uh, and you have a right to be upset, but, you know, folks, is it worth your life? Is it worth you spending time in jail? Is it worth you spending a, a hefty fine because you were involved in a road rate incident? And do you realize that when you are, you are putting other people in danger? What happens to you? I mean, because, you know, now apparently um, there are 15 states in the country that have what is called aggressive driving statutes. Utah is not one of them. And the aggressive driving statute covers behaviors most associated with road rage. Now, currently here in the state of Utah, we do address reckless driving, which includes driving at a speed of 105 miles an hour, 105 miles per hour or grading, greater, and committing specific traffic violations covering three miles or less. So we already have a law on the book, on the books. What is an aggressive driving law going to do? Do you think it will cut down on road rage in this state? You know, if people are, you know, they're going to be involved in road rage. They aren't thinking about the laws. They don't care. They're mad. They're ticked. And they want to get after the guy who cut them off or the person who did something to them on the highway that they don't like. So what leads to this road rage? 
And do you think laws, stiffer laws, are going to change anything? 888-570-8010, 888-570-8010. On your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod, let's go to the phones. 888-570-8010. We begin in Salt Lake City with Rick. Rick, how are you? Welcome to the Rod Arquette Show. Hey, Rod, thanks. Thanks for having me. Hey, I just thought I'd share with all your listeners that one important thing to remember um, is that the person who made the offense, whether it be a driver, whether it be a pedestrian or a cyclist or anyone, you never know what's going on inside of their head. And, you know, I had an experience a long time ago in my 20s where I saw this guy crossing the road and it was a green light right downtown Salt Lake. And, boy, I chewed him out and had us do to say a few things to him he came around to the window of my car uh-huh. and he could have just beaten the pullback um, but he told me you know my wife just passed away up at the hospital there at LDS hospital and he didn't even know that the light was green and so I think people need to I think we lost uh, Rick. Rick, thank you. I, I, people need to take into consideration what's going on. I understand that. In that case, Rick, I understand what this man was going through. His wife's within the hospital, and she wanted to take care of her. But many of these are just somebody cut you off, or somebody did something that you don't like, and you're bound and determined to get back at them. Is that going to do you any good? 888-570-8010 on your cell phone dial, pound 250, and say, hey, Rod, back to the phones we go. Let's talk with Joe in Orem tonight here on the Rod Arquette Show. Hi, Joe. How are you? Hey, Rod. So no new law is going to do anything to prevent road rage. It, it's already happened. Um, we put uh, cameras in our cars, and, you know, I'm at the point now where somebody cuts me off. I'm like, yep, I got you right here on camera. Let's report <laughs> you to the police, and you're good, right? And if you hit me, oh, buddy, I got lawsuits coming for you. <laughs> so. You know, what? What is what is wrong, Joe, with just backing off and saying, okay, the guy's mad at me. I'm just going to back off and not confront him. I mean, what what? Why do we have to engage in this sometimes? What is it about us? I think a lot of it is, you know, people get, are too proud. They're like, hey, I was right there. I was first. You know, you can't do that to me. And, and we want to get our place back. And it's like, you know, it's not worth it anymore. You know, you're going to spend $60,000 on a car, you know, possibly lose your life, it, getting in a wreck, an accident, you know, and hurting other people just does not make any sense. Yeah. So, Amen to yeah, that one. That's my take on it. <laughs> Amen so. to that one, Joe. Good take. Let's go to Garen, who's on I-15 tonight here on the Rod Arquette Show. Garen, how are you? Welcome. I'm doing well. How are you, Rod? I'm doing well. What do you think about road rage, and will new laws do anything about it, in your opinion? In my opinion, they won't, but I think that the 105 speed limit for reckless driving is a little high. We should drop that down so that more people uh, are affected by it, so that the rest of us have friends that are affected by it, and we'll kind of start to say, oh, wow, yeah, this is a big deal. We need to drive slower because, I don't know, it just seems to me that 105 is pretty high for reckless driving. What should you slow it, drop it down to, Garen? 90? Would 90 work, do you think? 90 would work for me. I've got five kids, and I don't hit 90, but I do hit 80. Um <clears throat> I'll leave that to the legislators, but I do think 105 is too high. I, I, uh, yeah, 
105, yeah, 105 is flying. That's for sure. All right, Garen, thank you. All right, more of your calls. A lot of people want to weigh in on this as we talk about road rage in Utah. What can be done to prevent it? I don't know if you can prevent it. And are stiffer laws, bigger fines, jail sentences, is that going to do anything? Lawmakers are thinking about it. And we'll let you think about it with them and share your thoughts. 888-5708010, 888-5708010, or on your cell phone, all you do is have to dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod. realize they actually had songs about road rage but he ray was able to find one how are you welcome back to the rod arquette show and that's exactly what we're talking about today utah lawmakers up on capitol hill are discussing the possibility of uh, introducing some legislation or coming up with a new law to uh, increase fines or penalties for road rage now 15 states apparently already have what are known as aggressive driving statutes utah's not one of them and that's one of the issues that lawmakers are talking about. Uh, the Utah law currently only addresses reckless driving. That that includes driving at a speed of 105 miles an hour or greater. Our hundred callers say, hey, 105 is too high. Maybe it needs to be lowered. Uh, and committing specific traffic violations covering three miles or less. So lawmakers are trying to do something about road rage. It's increasing here in the state of Utah Will laws change anything? We go back to our uh, 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 lines right now and hear from you, 888-570-8010, or on your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod, let's talk right now with Lance in West Jordan tonight. Lance, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm good. How about yourself? There, I'm, Rod? Do- I'm doing great, Lance. What What are your thoughts on road rage? Good. Well, road rage really sucks, and uh, there's definitely some bad driving out there lately. Uh, but to, to be honest with you, Rod, I don't think it will change anybody. I believe, or anything, uh, about road rage. Uh, fines, laws, or whatever you put in there, um, in the legislation, just due to the fact it's all about the state of the mind of a person driving and their actions. So, I mean, if their actions are going to cause an issue of someone else getting hurt, or I mean, then I can see that happening. But in regards to being road rage, I believe it's all about the the person's state of mind of when they get in that vehicle and drive. And they also need to bring back some uh, safety inspections as well, just to throw that in there. That's just... uh, what my thought. Thank you. Uh, all right, Lance. Thank you very much. Uh, it's the state of mind of the person who's behind that vehicle. They may have had a bad day. They may be there. May be something going on in their life, and someone disrupts it by cutting in front of them, coming up on their bumper real quickly, and they aren't getting out of the way, and your lights are being flashed at them to move. I mean, it's pretty interesting to see how this all works out. Let's go to Jeff in Spanish Fork tonight here on the Rod Arquette Show. Jeff, what about road rage? What do we need to do? <laughs> well, I don't know the answer, but uh, back when I was coming back from uh, Woodruff, and it's back when we had the old two-lane two highway, mm-hmm. and I came up to the intersection of Park City, and a guy pulled out in front of me, and I had to hit the brakes hard, and so I saluted him, 
and he didn't appreciate that. But, and, but he kept me in the oncoming traffic lanes from Park City all the way to Heber. Wow. I would speed up to try to get past him, and he would just speed up, and I'd slow down. Luckily, it was it was no traffic, but um, Boy, that's dangerous. anyway, I got to Heber. Yeah, I got to Heber and thought, well, I'll just pull off, act like I'm going to my destination. So I pulled off, drove up five or six blocks, and then doubled back, got back on the highway and got outside of Heber, and there he was waiting for me. Wow. And so he did that from... Uh, from Heber to Deer Creek, and then he backed off. Luckily, we didn't do it down Provo Canyon, but I learned my lesson. I just, you know, don't do anything back. Just yeah, and I maybe I, cuss a little bit. That's <laughs> it. Yeah, there's not much. Jeff, you did the wise thing by backing off, and I think that's what people need to do. You know, you may be ticked, I mean, you may be really, really angry. But um, road rage, maybe you do need to back off. Maybe that's the best solution. I'm not. I'm not convinced. I understand what they're trying to do. Lawmakers feel they need to do something uh, by passing these new aggressive laws. But I'm not sure if they're going to make that big of a difference when it comes to road rage. Because as a caller just pointed out a moment ago, it all comes down to state of mind. Let's go to Ben in Salt Lake City. Hear what Ben has to say tonight here on the Rod Arkansho. Hi, Ben. Hi there. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I don't think uh, new laws will really change it because people are already breaking the laws in the first place. So, uh, new laws. I, I don't see how that's going to work. One thing I will say though is, uh, I think all of us we just got to check our egos. You know, we've all been we've all been cut off here or there. We've probably done some cutting off ourselves. Let's just give each other some slack and uh, be safe. Yeah, yeah. You ever noticed um, when you're with a guy who's speeding in and out in traffic and you know, getting ahead, you usually catch up at the next red light. It doesn't really save you any time at all. Yeah, that's that's for sure. That's for sure. And you're you're right. You know, um, tell you what, folks, just back off as you possibly can. And I, I, I'll share a quick story with you. Well, I'll share that after we do a news update. And I want to get one more caller in before we break. Let's go to uh, Corey, who's on I-15 in Utah County tonight. Corey, any road rage out there right now, Corey? No, that I'm good. seeing. Good, <laughs> good. But I have definitely, but I, yeah, but I definitely have, uh, I've seen it on here. I was just going to say, um, I think it comes down to addressing the root cause rather than um, some of the consequences of what happens, just like gun control. There's some real mental health problems, and I'm not sure how you address it, but um, yeah, it seems like people are just in a worse state of mind than they were, you know, even 10 years ago. And so, the mental, I think mental health should be definitely be addressed, and it's a tricky one to, ha- to handle, though. Yeah, yeah, it is correct. I, I, and to be honest, I, I, I agree with you, but I also don't know how you would handle that or how you would gauge that. It's very, very difficult. It's like red flag laws. I mean, to one person, they be they may be considered mentally unstable, and the gun should be taken away. But someone else would look at that individual and say they're just fine. They're responsible. No need to take the gun away. Do you do the same thing I, 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 when it comes to a driver's license? I'm not I'm not sure how you would do that, to be real honest. Don't know if I'm in favor of that idea. All right, more of your calls coming up. It is the Rod Arquette Show. We're talking about road rage. Lawmakers are talking about it today. And we're giving you a chance to weigh in as well. 888-570-8010, 888-570-8010. Or on your cell phone, all you do is have to dial pound 250 and say, Hey, Rod. Got road rage again. 
Some mother cut me off again. Take your phone and shove it up your my friend. Son of a I've got road rage again. <laughs> Got I don't know where you Ray finds these songs, but that may be that, that may be the best one. All right, welcome back to the Rod Arquette Show on this uh, Wednesday afternoon. And uh, we're talking about road rage because that's what lawmakers are talking about today. We've had some uh, more road rage incidents, some very tragic, involving people who are not involved in the road rage at all but losing their lives. And lawmakers say we need to do more about it. But our new laws, tougher laws, going to make a difference. Uh, 888-570-8010 on your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod, let's go to uh, Lance in Layton, who I think is on I-15 tonight. Lance, how are you? Welcome to the show. I, are you talk- I think you're talking to me. Am yeah. I the one? Yep, you sure are. Go ahead, Lane. Okay. Okay, it's Lane, yeah. Uh, I just wanted to say, um, you know, we have gun laws and uh, they don't do a thing. People... People kill, not guns, and the same thing is, is with road rage. I mean, people got to control themselves. And that's, so maybe we need to do something. Uh, we need to teach uh, anger management in driver's ed classes, or you know, we got to start young and we got to work on controlling ourselves. That's kind of the bottom line. I was about to hear Todd Weiler here a minute ago on the news break say that we need to think that through because uh, just because of one. Bad minute judgment on somebody. You don't want to cause them years of yeah, yeah. Of heartache. But I, I don't think the laws are going to do anything. Honestly. Yeah. All right, Lane. And you're right. I think uh, I think Todd's observation was very uh, was spot on. You know, one person having a real bad day does something really stupid, and he ends up in jail. Is that the way to go? I, I agree. I, I I'm not sure. I understand what lawmakers are trying to do here. But I don't know if an additional law is going to make that much of a difference. Let's go to Russ, who's in Tremont tonight here on the Rod Arkent Show. Hi, Russ. Hey, sir. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to go outside the box and ask for the market solution, as I have before, because I agree with making more laws upon more laws ain't going to do anything. And and to go up that politician saying, well, we got to be careful because we don't want a police state. Man, it's already a police state. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. it, it, they left that a long time ago when they pulled over people for having no seatbelts that, that a motorcycle cop can pull you over for no seatbelts or tent laws that they have darker tint. It, it's not about safety at that point, in my opinion. But th- what's the what's the free market solution? It's to privatize it. And I know people have a hard time with that, but it's like, look at what our current state is. I mean, we, we complain and whine about the the disrepair of our of our main highways and arteries. If, if everything was seen as a toll road, and if, say, I owned a road, don't I have a, an interest to provide security? for that road to provide maintenance and meter it because at the end of the day, if it's too busy, people are going to leave and go elsewhere. Right. And yeah. it's easier said than done, but it's the, it's the same, it's the same solution with other things like privatizing schooling and whatnot. If I had an interest in keeping that road safe and not filled with potholes and not congested, I, I could have happy customers. And if people had options to do that, it would be the market solution, in my opinion. So you're saying, Russ, I want to make sure I understand this, is that you're saying privatize all the roads, maybe on all toll roads, and then the individual, whoever owns that road, is their responsibility to make it safe and to maintain it. Am I reading Absolutely. that right, Russ? Through and through. Absolutely, through and through. I mean, I, for the longest time, I was skeptical. I mean, there's for, for this is the solution to most everything. Even for the longest time, I thought, well, government... We don't want them and everything, but, you know, we even got to have them for, like, defense and the military. 
and the Mises Institute changed my mind, and they're pretty hardcore. They ain't progressive, and they ain't Republican. I mean, they have two things about um, a market for security mm-hmm. and a market for defense, and they can make a free market case for anything, and even including the military, which I was pretty skeptical. But it's the same thing. It, if you look at it in those terms of an owner has a stake in providing a good and service, yep. and when consumers don't get that, they go elsewhere. That's you know true. What? That's true, Russ. Thank you. Interesting observation. I hadn't even thought about that. Let's go to Carl, who's in Provo tonight here on the Rod Arquette Show. Carl, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Hey, I like the song, uh, Rod. That was a cute <laughs> song you had on. The problem was, <laughs> it was, it's such a serious subject, it's hard to joke about it, yeah, but it, it was is. funny. Yeah, it was. No, when I think... When I think of that thing that happened in Eagle Mountain recently, oh, two innocent people on a Sunday drive because two people were mad at each other, they killed two people that had nothing to do with it. Yep. And that, to me, makes road rage a very serious problem. Now, it becomes subjective. If you see road rage going on, then a cop needs to stop him and cite him for road rage. They need to go to court, and the jury needs to hear the situation. I'm not saying that everybody is guilty of road rage that gets mad about something like this. This is like having a gun in your hand and twirling it around and not worrying where it's pointed and hitting the trigger. They don't know what they're doing. They're irresponsible. They shouldn't be on the road yeah. when something like this happens, you know? Yeah, but how do you, how do you keep them off the road, Carl? I mean, what do you do? Well, that's the thing right there. Yeah. If you see somebody, I don't know. The only way I can see is if you see it going on, if you see two cars look like they're racing each other down the freeway, that that just glares at me like it's road rage yeah, or something. Yeah, something's going on. I don't know what's on. going on. Yeah, something's crazy. Are, yeah, something's going on. You're right, Carl. Good point. Yeah, if you see something like that, do you get on the phone and call UHP and say, "Hey, there's something going on on the highways. If you're in this area, dispatch somebody in this direction." I don't know if they do that. Is that a solution to it? I don't know. All right, more of your calls coming up here on the Rod Arkent Show and Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Got road rage again. Some mother cut me off again. Take your phone and shove it up your, my friend. Son of a, I've got road rage again. Got road rage again. <laughs> That's a popular song today. I like that song. Got road rage again. All right, welcome back to the Rod Arquette Show. We are talking about road rage here in the state of Utah. Utah lawmakers consider maybe some new legislation. To deal with people involved in road rage, we've had way too many incidents of road rage this year. Some of them turning deadly for innocent victims. And uh, I don't know how you solve the problem. I don't know if the new law is going to do it. But I want to hear from you tonight. 888-570-8010 or on your cell phone dial pound 250 and say, Hey, Rod, let's talk with uh, Tisha, who's on the Bangor Highway tonight. Tisha, how are you? Welcome to the Rod Arquette Show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Tisha. Good. So regarding your new laws, I just I don't know that they will be able to really enforce them because how do you prove that it's actually road rage? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, how would you do what they go a certain speed limit? They I, I, I don't know how they would do it. I mean, wouldn't you wouldn't a police officer actually have to see it being done to know there was road rage involved? Right. Right. Or, you know, because you. I mean, you can drive along somebody and they just don't like you, and now they can claim, "Oh, well, you had road rage on me." Yeah, <laughs> that just that doesn't work. Yeah, sure doesn't. All right, Tisha, thank you. Let's go to Ray in West Valley City here tonight on the Rod Arquette Show. Hi, Ray. 
Oh, hi. <clears throat> oh, hi, Ray, Rod. Um, hey, I was just uh, listening to this, you know, and I thought, well, um, you know, the severity of the crime, I mean, you know, it seems to me that all the laws that they have right now, um, they really don't, I mean, you know, there's not that much of a penalty. I guess I'm a little old-fashioned, but I would think, you know, um, up in the severity of the the crime, I mean, you know, if they, obviously if there's people killed, I mean, uh, there should be more of a punishment or there should be a punishment, I would think, you know, that's a lot more severe than it is now. Oh, Maybe, I, yeah. uh, <laughs> I would think that uh, they ought to make an example of those. I don't know. It just yeah. really peeps me off. I well, mean, you well, know, hear this. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I've been on the I-15, I and, you know, I've experienced it, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you, Ray, and thank you very much for your phone call. I mean, maybe you have a very, very tough law, and, you know, you use people who have broken the law, make them examples of what could happen, enforcing the law, and maybe that will send a message. I'm not sure, but that maybe that's a way to make it work. Jerry is in West Jordan tonight here on the Rod Arkansas. Hi, Jerry. How are you? Hi, Rod. Interesting conversations here. Thank you. Um, I, I was just telling them, uh, I says, you know, when I used to drive truck, I always had this standing rule. If you're going to pull out, move out. Don't be in a big hurry to go nowhere. But I, as I told your uh, screener, I said, sometimes I'll pull out on Redwood Road over here. Uh-huh. And I don't dawdle around. I get right up to the speed limit. And there's somebody a block and a half, two blocks down the street. They'll come racing right up on me, especially if they're driving a pickup. And I'm going, <laughs> what the heck is that about? The speed limit's 45. And sometimes I'll admit, I'll, I might drive 50. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And do, and, and, and do, it's, and do, it's like, yeah, do they come up on you, you think, because they feel maybe you pulled out in front of them? You didn't give them enough time? Why did they come up on you so fast? I don't know. I had a, I had somebody the other day when I left the doctor's office over on 90th. I, you know, I looked down the street. It was it was clear, and I pulled out, and there was somebody in a in a white Audi come up on me about wow. 80 mile an hour. Wow. I have no idea where they came from. Wow. My eyesight's not shot. <laughs> All right, Jerry. Thank you. Let's go to Rick, who's in Las Vegas tonight here on the Rod Arquette Show. Hi, Rick. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, just real quick, I think what we need is more law enforcement out here pulling people over for speeding. I came through here a couple of weeks ago. I'm a truck driver out of Vegas. I came through here a couple of weeks ago, and just north of town, they were doing a big blitz, and there was no wrecks. Nobody was going crazy. Speeders were getting pulled over. I'm coming through here today. I'm doing 70, and I'm everybody's just flying past me. So, I mean, just get these officers to come out here and start pulling more people over, write more tickets, be more aggressive with speeders, and I think that would get everybody to calm down a little bit. Boy, that makes a very good point, Rick, and be safe out there, and thank you for calling into the show, but you're right. I mean, the speed limit is 70 uh, on most of the, uh, I think on the interstate here up and down the Wasatch Front, maybe 65, but in most places it's 70 miles an hour. But if you're doing 70 miles an hour on the road today, um, 
Rick, they're a truck driver out of Vegas. Yeah, people are passing you right and left. So maybe if law enforcement really stepped it up, and I don't know how long it would take. It may take two or three months. And I know they do some blitzes occasionally. But, boy, if you're consistently there, uh, folks are going to slow down. I think that's just natural tendency for people. And it's funny? You see a police officer, you went, whoa, I'm backing down on the speed. All right, more coming up. Hour number three of the Rod Arkenshaw with you on this uh, Wednesday afternoon right here on Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Number three of the Rod Arkansha with you on this uh, Wednesday afternoon here on Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Listen and you'll know still a lot to get to this hour. We're going to be talking about big government and how it controls our lives. You wouldn't believe the amount of agencies and the amount of rules and regulations and laws that affect all of us. It's absolutely amazing and nobody is trying to do anything about it. And our relationship with China, where does it stand today? And is it time to end trade with China? I mean, could we even do that in today's worldwide economy? We'll talk about that as well. So still a lot to get to here on the Rod Arkencho in Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Now, what a spectacle it was yesterday. A former president who is a candidate again for president going before a federal judge to face charges of uh, uh, improperly handling classified documents. That FBI and that Justice Department, controlled by the sitting president, who most likely could be Donald Trump's opponent in 2024. Just another sign, I think, for a lot of Americans, their lack of trust in institutions anymore. Let's talk about it with our next guest, good friend of the show, Charles Lipson. Charles, of course, is a president of international politics at the University of Chicago Emeritus. Charles, how are you? Welcome back to the Rod Arquette Show. Thank you, Rod. It was great to hear... uh not, uh, your uh, last ad before uh, we came in, which talked about minky. Yeah. Got to have and a minky blanket. I've got to te- tell you that that was the name of my dogs when I was growing up. <laughs> and, and I named them. I named them because they their coat felt like my mother's mink coat. Ah, uh, there you go. There you go. Charles, I'll have to send you a minky blanket. uh, You led me in with the perfect (laughs) lead-in, my friend. Let's talk about what happened yesterday and what we're seeing. Americans' faith in very critical and very important institutions, Charles, but it is fading and fading rapidly. What is going on? Well, it's happened over a period of years. If you went back into the 1950s and even up through the mid-60s and asked people, do you trust your government? The numbers who did would have been in the 70% or greater range. And those numbers are now down in the level of used car dealers and uh, so forth. But it's not just uh, the U.S. government. It's virtually all institutions. I think the only institution now with uh, greater than 50% support among the public is the U.S. military. Um, And that's not, I mean, it's great that people support the military, but it's not good uh, that there's been a general erosion. And there is, as you were saying, uh, uh, in leading into other topics you're going to talk about, part of it has to do with bureaucracy, that, uh, that 
Democrats rule our lives, the more we're in a non-democratic environment. Uh, And more and more of our laws include literally thousands of statements the Secretary of Department X, Y, or Z shall determine. And uh, basically, that gives power to a bunch of people who live in the Washington, D.C. suburbs to make the rules that affect all of our daily lives. And the other thing that's happened has been a deep ideological divide over a wide variety of issues so that when one party is in control of government and acts to do virtually anything, the uh, the people who support the other party consider those actions illegitimate. And, and that's what we saw, I think, in the not just the Trump indictment, but the failure to prosecute Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the failure to do anything to the FBI rogue uh, leadership, and now an investigation of Hunter Biden that has lasted for year after year after year with no indictments at all. Yeah, five years, as a matter of fact, is how long that's been going on, Charles. Absolutely amazing. Even a commentator on CNN pointed that out the other day. What is taking them for so long, for crying out loud? Couldn't they have wrapped this up much faster? They certainly did in Donald Trump's case. Charles, let me ask you about this. There, you know, we've, there's always been a general feeling, I think it's existed in this country almost since its founding, that we always kind of look to federal authorities and go, kind of like, you know, you're trying to push us around. But has it gotten worse over time? I mean, you know, I think a lot of Americans view the federal government now as someone who's telling you what to do, that you can't do anything about it, that they know better for you, better for you and better than you do about any situation. And the American people are going, what? Who made you the king of everything? Because I think that's very frustrating to people. Well, it's frustrating to about half the country. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Good point. <laughs> but it is it is absolutely the case that the government is much more involved in our lives. And when we say the government, we, we should add that the part of the government that's involved is the national central government. For a long, long time... The only governments that were really involved in our lives, other than war and peace and so forth, were our local governments. Maybe, to a small extent, the state government. But if you lived in Salt Lake City, it was the government of Salt Lake City. There's been another thing that's happened besides the government playing a larger and larger role. And these two things may be related. There's been an erosion of what's called civil society, uh, the Boy Scouts, the going to church, the, the doing all the little things that bring us all uh, together. And, um, and that's been eroded because the government is playing a larger and larger role in things. And in fact, there is a, a debate, or rather there really should be a debate, which hasn't happened as yet, about the role that the Great Society programs that Lyndon Johnson rolled out in the mid-1960s have done in destroying black family structure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. effect, the government has become the husband in a lot of families. It's providing a lot of the things that would traditionally be provided by your partner in a family situation. So I do think that the country is in a fair amount of trouble. One of the points that I make is I say that, uh, going back to
to the Trump indictment is that Trump supporters say that we have a two-tier system of justice, one for Democrats and one for Republicans. And then Trump's opponents counter that the president, former president, has been credibly charged with a cluster of very serious crimes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What I say is that the tragedy is that both sides are absolutely correct. Mm, Interesting. And, And that almost nobody acknowledges that the crimes are serious, but that others had committed serious crimes and were given a pass, and that's a two-tier system of of justice. And uh, a country, it it further erodes our confidence in our institutions, and a democracy really depends upon people feeling like we have control over the basic public policies and that those are decided in a democratic fashion, and that when things go to court, they're decided in an even-handed way. And I think people's sense of that trust has eroded quite substantially. You know, I, I, I saw this today, Charles. I'd love to get your reaction. Michael Goodwin, of course, who writes for the New York Post, always enjoy his columns as well. But he wrote, a, yeah, yeah. he wrote about this today, saying millions losing faith in our system over Trump-Biden divide can't vote our way out of this injustice. Can we vote our way out of the troubles we're in now? Well, that's an interesting question. It it can't be done, I think, simply by electing one person. But things can certainly get worse. And I would say that we're going to have to also... uh, vote our way or try to vote our way out at the local level. Um, what's happened in, in once great cities like uh, San Francisco uh, are not problems at the national level, but they are problems that the voters yeah, yeah. of San Francisco themselves brought on themselves. They've allowed the city to become a kind of a festering place where you can commit crimes on the street, where you can live in a tent on the street, uh, and um, and where um, uh, ordinary, decent, law-abiding people seem to be getting the short end of the stick. And what they're going to do is move out. And so the national bird of California is now a U-Haul truck. <laughs> you are so right, Charles. Charles, as always... Great to have a conversation with you tonight. Thanks for joining us. I know we'll be talking again. Enjoy the rest of the evening. Thank you very much, Rod. It's always a pleasure. All right. Joining us on our uh, Any Hour Newsmaker line, that's Charles Lipson, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Chicago. More coming up on the Rod Arkent Show and Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Listen and you'll know. All right, welcome back to the uh, Rod Arkentra with you on this um, Wednesday in Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen, Daniel, though. All right, before we bring on our next guest, we have something to give away. How would you like to take Dad to the Lagoon this weekend? Father's Day coming up on Sunday, of course. Right now, we're going to give you a chance to win two tickets to Lagoon for Father's Day. Bring Dad to Lagoon. Special pricing available, $74.95 plus tax when you buy two or more passes this Sunday. And if you mention Father's Day at the door or buy online at lagoonpark.com using the code FATHER23, 
you'll get the discount there as well. But check it out today. And right now, we have two tickets to give away for Father's Day at Lagoon. We'll take caller number 5, 888-570-8010, 888-570-8010. If you'd like to win two tickets to Lagoon, to take Dad to Lagoon on Father's Day, caller number 5, 888-570-8010. All right, uh, we were just talking with Charles Lipson about the impact that the federal government uh, is having on our lives now, and they are. There's no doubt about it. Federal government has gotten bigger and bigger. The famous line from uh, Ronald Reagan, you know, (laughs) never trust the federal government. If they uh, show up and say, we're here to help, you know you're in trouble. Well, how big is the federal government, and what is going on out there? Joining us on our newsmaker line right now is Giancarlo Canapero. He is a legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Giancarlo, thanks for joining us tonight. Um... Does the average American really understand the impact that a large federal government, as big as it is today, Giancarlo, do they have, have any impact, The um, any idea of the impact they're having on people's lives? Well, the truth of the matter is the average bureaucrat, the average judge, the average lawyer doesn't even have any idea how big the federal government is or how much power it has. The federal code spans hundreds of thousands of pages. The federal register, which is where... Uh, All of the administrative agencies publish their rules and regulations, spans uh, however many millions or hundreds of thousands of pages. Nobody actually really knows. Uh, They control everything from uh, the rules about recycling to the rules about um, uh, preparing food. It's a federal crime, for instance, to sell Swiss cheese that doesn't have enough holes in it. (laughs) Uh, The number – and I wish I was making that up, but it really really land you in jail. Uh, The number of regulations and rules that govern the tiniest aspects of every one of our lives uh, simply boggles the mind. And the average citizen is perfectly excused from not knowing it because nobody does. You write and raise a question about a term I've never heard before. What is administrative rule? How does that all play into this, Giancarlo? Yeah, sure. Well, by contrast, you know, we are... A, a republic, which means we should have representative rule. Uh, we elect members of Congress who enact the laws that govern us. But in fact, what happened over the many years, beginning around the 1920s, really picking up under FDR and then Lyndon Johnson, is Congress said, well, we don't really want to do this hard job of figuring out how to make the right decisions for the country. Let's appoint a bunch of experts, put them in an alphabet soup of agencies, and just give them all the power been a slow process but you know now the process is functionally complete congress spends money and that's just about all that congress does now everything is done by agencies uh over which you know we have no control you know these are bureaucrats who can't be fired by the president uh they their rules can't be voted on by you and i Uh, they can't be repealed except by congress and the president acting together uh so that is administrative rule is where bureaucrats uh, unaccountable to us, promulgate all the rules that we have no say in. Talking about one absurdity that you make in your uh, that you write about in your column is dealing with a Catholic hospital in Oklahoma and the burning of a candle. <laughs> Can you explain to people what that story is all about? Because it is absurdity at its best. Yeah, it's it's not only absurd though; it really shows the most nefarious downsides of administrative rules. So what happened is you have a Catholic hospital, and like many hospitals, it gets a lot of its money by serving needy clients. Uh, and they you know, reimburse the hospital through Medicare or Medicaid. Uh, and there is, it's a Catholic hospital, it has a tiny chapel, a tiny little chapel, and in it is a tiny 
candle. It's a tea candle. It's mounted on the wall inside of a glass sconce. Uh, it is far away from anything and anyone that could possibly harm it. It is a tiny, tiny candle. The federal government came in and said, well, there is a rule, don't you know, that says all flames in a hospital must be very closely monitored. Um, and if you don't put out that little tiny candle, uh, we're shutting you down. And uh, the Catholic hospital said, you know, you can pound sand. We have this, this uh, candle does nothing, no harm to anyone. It's no risk at anything. And we have a spiritual uh, need of having this chapel, and, and it needs to have the candle in it, according to our teachings. Uh, thankfully, the administration somewhat backed down and said, you know, as long as you keep somebody there and, you know, you promise us that it's monitored and, it's, and we, won't, we won't shut you down. Uh, but only after a lot of backlash and only after some lawyers got involved and threatened to sue the government, uh, which is the downside of administrative rule. When there are a million rules that nobody knows and nobody can know and nobody can enforce equally because you don't have an army of a billion people to enforce all these rules equally, the government gets to pick and choose its targets and it gets to pick and choose the rules that it does enforce and it doesn't enforce. Now, sometimes it's all well and good. Uh, but sometimes some of these some of these bureaucrats are biased. Some of them are power trippers. Some of them are discriminators. Some of them really hate religious people. Some of them hate other groups of people. And there is no ability, no check on their choice to use or not their powers against one group or another. And because there are so many laws, uh, they have functionally unlimited power to investigate and punish anyone they want. And so when bias creeps in, as it seems to have in this case of the Catholic hospital, that's when things go from – annoying to diabolical yeah has anybody ever had a chance or taken the opportunity i don't know how long this would take john carlo to really get a count as to how many actual government agencies <laughs> there are out there and how many rules and regulations they administer to all of us each and every day has anybody dared undertake that task well some people <laughs> have tried to count the agencies there's no good answer because nobody really knows how to count agencies and sub agencies and you know so so people have tried some people have tried to count the rules themselves i i for instance tried to count just the criminal rules in the united states code um it took me and my co-authors two years uh and we could only produce an estimate of about five thousand different crimes just in the code now that's just about congress rights Administrative agencies have their own set of rules, uh, which, you know, the roughest estimates put that at somewhere around 300,000 distinct crimes, just crimes, not not the sort of civil statutes that can get you in monetary trouble or get your business shut down. Uh, but the truth is, we're so far gone, nobody knows and nobody can know. Yeah, I was going to say, are we so far gone that we can't turn it back? Is there any possibility of us slimming all of this down? There is. Uh, there's no way to do it surgically anymore. At this point, Congress would have to pass some fairly significant law that says, uh, you know, every major rule is hereby rescinded. Uh, and if you want to uh, admis administrative agencies, if you want to promulgate new rules, you may do that. But we're going to keep an eye on them and nothing gets approved unless we say so. There is actually a bill introduced by some Republicans in Congress called the RAINS Act, mm -hmm. uh, which would do some of this, uh, which would say, you know, you can promulgate rules, administrative agencies, but no nothing you promulgate gets to take effect until we, Congress, give the sign-off. And that would be that would be a huge step in the right direction, because ultimately it is Congress that needs to be responsible for making the hard decisions for us. And yes, the experts at the agencies can be of great service to Congress uh, in deciding, you know, for instance, 
whether a particular chemical is harmful or not. Congress doesn't have that expertise, but Congress does get to balance uh, other considerations. Just because a, harmful is, a chemical is harmful doesn't mean it doesn't have good applications, doesn't mean that it might be in the public interest to use it in some cases and not others. Those are the prudential decisions that Congress needs to make, that we the people make want Congress to make. It's why we elect them. Uh, so expertise isn't enough to govern. You need prudence, too. Uh, and that's why we want to see more decisions being made by Congress. On our Ending Hour Newsmaker line, that's Giancarlo Canaparo. He is a legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, the Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. Uh, Giancarlo just mentioned the uh, the uh, RAINS Act. Utah Senator Mike Lee is actively involved in that and has been working for many, many years to get that RAINS Act implemented. And I think it would certainly be a benefit for uh, all of us when it comes to controlling the federal government. All right, more coming up on the Rod Arkent Show and Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen and you'll know. Catch Show on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Final half hour of the Rod Catch Show with you on this uh, Wednesday. A reminder of the Jesse Kelly Show coming your way following our uh, news update at the top of the hour. And then Clyde Lewis with Ground Zero and then Coast to Coast with George Norrie. That's your evening lineup tonight on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. China. What do we do about China? Continues to exert its influence around the world, a military threat, an economic threat as well. Could we end trade relations with China? Is that even a possibility? Could it be done? Well, joining us now on our uh, Newsmaker line to talk about that is Scott Paul. Scott is the president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Scott, thank you for being with us tonight. Let's talk about China and trade with China. I mean, how out of whack is the trade imbalance between the United States and China today, Paul? Scott? Yeah, well, it's a good question, Rod. And there hasn't been trade balance with China for a couple of decades. Uh, we have a massive trade deficit. It's our largest trade deficit with any country. Uh, cumulative over the last couple of decades, it amounts to trillions of dollars. And, you know, that's just not a figure. Those are jobs. And that's capability uh, that's been leaving the country as well as good wages as well. And, you know, consumers on T-shirts, they might have seen lower prices, but we've made ourselves really vulnerable uh, and depend way too much on China for everything from critical medicines that we need to uh, to materials that go into complex machinery uh, like semiconductors and, and what have you. And it's, it's time to change course. There, there is no balance. I don't think there ever will be balance with China. Uh, Beijing, the Chinese Communist Party, has simply doesn't play by the rules, hasn't played by the rules, and they've gotten away with it for far too long. How did we get to this point, Scott? What happened? Yeah, well, there was, there was a bet that was made uh, about 23 years ago that if we brought China into the world trade system and we lowered tariffs, that China would become more democratic, more market-based, uh, more open. You know, that was the idea, and, and that uh, there would represent a massive 
you know, billion person market for our consumer goods. And so uh, I didn't believe in that bet. I will say a couple uh, of decades ago, but both parties did quite honestly, uh, and they leaned into it. And then we gave China a blank check through Democratic and Republican administrations that lasted a very long time. And uh, instead of getting better, things got worse. And Xi Jinping has demonstrated that he has no interest in democracy. He really doesn't have an interest in uh, coming to terms with the United States. They're never going to abide by any agreement that they've made with respect to trade. And so I think in so many ways, uh, it's reached the tipping point. Scott, is everything in China, including trade, all controlled by the Chinese Communist Party? I mean, are we kidding ourselves that the Chinese Communist Party doesn't play a role in any of this? That's a great question. And so there are private companies that operate in China. There are also multinational companies, some of them American, that also have manufacturing operations in China. But, and this is the big but, uh, all of those firms do have to answer to uh, Beijing, to the Chinese Communist Party, in one way or another. And now that China has a lot of the technology that they've stolen or transferred or pirated, uh, they're building up their own firms. And so it's no longer, you know, like the, the, the Teslas or the Boeings or what have you. You know, it's their own Chinese brands uh, that, that are, they're trying to get around the globe and make the largest auto companies, the largest aerospace companies, and the, the largest tech companies. And we should be very, very concerned about that because those companies will operate with one set of rules in mind and those are the rules that are set by beijing and and that has a far different standard with respect to criticizing governments or particularly the actions that Mm -hmm. are taken Mm -hmm. in china Mm -hmm. um and 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 also raises questions about human rights violations we know that supply chains in china are riddled with human rights abuses We're talking right now with Scott Paul. Scott is president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Scott, is anybody paying attention to what China is doing, actually? And you you mentioned this a moment ago, to what China is doing around the world in developing relationships with these countries in Africa and in South America and being there and giving them money and supporting them. Is, Is anybody in the United States paying attention to what's going on around the rest of the world with China? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And for too long, I think we kind of buried our heads in the sand and assumed that because we're the United States, that these countries would gradually want to gravitate towards us and towards, you know, democratic ideals and, and our system. Uh, but, but that hasn't been the case. And China's been able to do this with a lot of resources by the way that they have accumulated through the, the trade deficit. They, they've accumulated a lot of wealth that way. And so they're establishing an infrastructure that supports trade, which mostly means Chinese finished products getting to these countries, and they're doing resource extraction uh, and what have you in places like Africa for uh, minerals and things that we're gonna need for a lot of high-tech goods, uh, and, and and what have you. And they're also making alliances uh, that mean that not only is there infrastructure for commercial trade, but unfortunately, there are Chinese military installations uh, that, are, that are popping up 
in Africa and in the Pacific Islands and elsewhere in Asia. And so I think that there is now awareness of all of this, and there is a desire uh, to uh, get tougher with China. And you certainly see in Congress far more attention focused on this. I mean, there's a select committee uh, that was stood up Mm -hmm, to deal with mm -hmm. uh, the competition between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party in the House of Representatives. And so, uh, yes, the the spotlight has been shown, but we have a lot of work to do uh, to to catch up and to also uh, mitigate some of this other behavior. Let's wrap things up with this question, Scott. Do you think the American people would be willing to pay a little bit more for products knowing that they were made here in the United States and we aren't having to deal with China and so dependent on China? Would the American people be willing to pay a little bit more? Yeah, well, I tell you, you know, when you when you do data research, it, it shows that they are. But we also know that a lot of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. They don't have a lot of extra cash. So they want good value. They want to make deals. I think more of that is possible now. And we are reshoring more supply chains to the United States. And and part of that was the fact that the last administration put tariffs on Chinese products. And we've seen the trade deficit, which had just been going up and up and up and up and up, uh, finally kind of level off. uh, And it's starting to come down a little bit. We can't take that for granted. And I think that we do need to make sure that American consumers know that there's value in buying American and also that there's a hidden cost to those goods from China, whether it's human rights or democratic abuses uh, or, or polluting in the way that we wouldn't hear. Uh, and, and they don't necessarily see that when they're buying the product, but, but that exists and that is a cost that someone has to pay. I'm optimistic uh, because I think the pandemic showed that if we depend on one source for, for things, for, for materials that we that we need in our everyday lives, uh, that that's a big mistake. And, yes. and we have to unwind that uh, and make more things here uh, in America. Sorry about that, Scott. He is the uh, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Scott Paul talking about ending trade relations with China. More coming up here on the Rod Arkent Show in Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Couple of uh, stories to share with you before we uh, wrap up tonight and get ready to uh, be back on the air tomorrow afternoon at 4 o'clock here on the Rod Arquette Show. Did you ever wonder why UPS drivers wear shorts? Well, could this be one of the reasons? Apparently, I never knew this, but apparently UPS drivers, uh, the company did not provide air-conditioned trucks. (laughs) And under a new um, deal, a new work-labor agreement, uh, union leaders and UPS have announced a tentative deal to add air conditioning to the package carrier's iconic brown delivery vehicles for the first time. I have a lot of UPS drivers who listen to us, so this is good news. Um, according to this uh, statement from the union, the Teamsters and UPS agreed to tentative language to equip the delivery and logistics company's fleet of vehicles with air conditioning systems, new heat shields, and additional fans so you may not see them wearing those uh brown shorts anymore (laughs) on ups we'll have to wait and see boy what a wild story on this i mean do you ever have a dream like this This, that's just weird a um 
Ecuadorian woman declared dead at the age of 76 woke up five hours into her remembrance service and started knocking inside her coffin. <laughs> oh, yeesh. Uh, doctors declared the retired nurse, her name is Bella Montoya, dead following a possible stroke and cardiopulmonary arrest. She did not respond to resuscitation efforts. The family gathered at a funeral home, held her wake June 9th, but had to stop when they heard a sound coming from the coffin. The wake started just hours after the doctors declared Montoya dead. It gave us all a fright, Montoya's son, Gilberto Barbera, told the Associated Press, but he stressed that her condition remains dire. Her family returned her to the hospital immediately. <laughs> Could you imagine? Ooh, ooh, health workers uh, tried to remove um, Bella from her coffin after she started knocking from the inside. There were about 20 of us there. After about five hours in the wake, the coffin started to make sounds. Mom was wrapped in sheets and hitting the coffin. I just, what a what a story that is. All right, uh, the NBA championship all over. Denver, of course, winning it two nights ago. Uh, and the NHL wrapped up last night with the Vegas Knights winning the uh, Stanley Cup. But you had to love uh, Nikola Jokic. He is the big star center, the, I, I think, MVP of the playoffs and uh, has won two previous league MVPs. Quite a player. But, you know, he kind of takes things in stride, doesn't get too excited about winning an NBA championship. Well, apparently, uh, his low-key reaction to the franchise's first-ever NBA title was picked up the other night. After the game, of course, he did the news conference, and someone asked him about participating in the parade in Denver, which is due to take place tomorrow in downtown Denver. He had to think for a minute, look back, and ask one of the team managers, do we have a parade Thursday? And they said, yeah. He goes, I just want to go home. <laughs> I don't think he wants to participate in the parade. He Apparently, he owns horses, and he's really into horse racing, and he wants to get back to his home country and horse racing. All right, that does it for us tonight. Head up, shoulders back. May God bless you and your family and this great country of ours. Happy Flag Day. We'll be with you tomorrow at 4. Have a good night.